Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel preaches from 2 Samuel chapter 7 with a message entitled, The Son of God. We have been in a series in 2 Samuel this fall, and if you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. This was the week to do it. We are in the crux of 2 Samuel. We are in one of the most important chapters uh, of Samuel, but not only that, of the Old Testament as well. Uh, I've been looking forward to preaching this chapter, though I didn't know how I was going to do it since we started uh, the book of Samuel last January. I've been looking forward to this week. Uh, so uh, I want to pray before we get get started. And then if you have a Bible, uh, we want to open it to 2 Samuel 7. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and it's on page 242, right in front of you. Let me pray before we begin, though. Uh, Lord, I pray for the next half an hour that you would quiet our hearts, that you would uh, allow us to hear your voice through your words spoken so long ago, but written for us, that we need uh, today. Lord, as we're trying to figure out how to navigate this crazy, broken world, would your words uh, not return void? Would they shape us? Would they move us? Would they allow us to see who you are and who you've called us to be as your people, as your house, as the, the church? And so I pray that you would allow all of us to be really fully engaged uh, during this time as we uh, enter into uh, these words that you have breathed out and spoken to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Second Samuel, we have looked at battles and action and movement all along, and we get to chapter 7, and it's like the whole story like slows down. And we get one speech from the Lord and then a prayer from David. We, we won't be able to go over to the prayer from David, but the speech from the Lord, which is like right in the middle. If this was a movie, the music would start building up at this moment as we are listening to this speech from the Lord. Right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I was brought up from uh, I brought up the people of Israel into Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent from my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, "Why have you not built me a house of cedar?" Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince 
over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring, your seed, your descendant after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let me read that one more time. Verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all these words, and in, accord in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to Daniel. Let's stop one more time and pray. Lord, we need your help. We need the Spirit to come and open our eyes so that we can see what this is saying. Lord, the, just the splendor of these words and what it is pointing forward to. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear you whispering the truth to us and direct us and shape our hearts. That our hearts would be soft to understand, be soft to change. And Lord, that you would give us an orientation, a purpose, a direction, a calling in this world. From these verses, Lord, I, I pray that you would allow uh, each one of us to, to see you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, like I said, this text of Scripture, it's been read and studied and written on for thousands of years, and it's really at a crux of the biblical story. Uh, it has echoes all throughout the rest of the Bible from 2 Samuel 7. It's known as the Davidic Covenant, if you've heard that term before. It's this covenant that God makes with, with David concerning his seed or the one that's going to come. And really it serves as something as like a north star for believers. As we're thinking through uh, how we're supposed to act and respond and live. And even as we study the word of God, uh, this really gives us direction and focus. It's like a north star. Uh, if you look up and the sky, and you're up on Mount Hood, or you're over in Central Oregon, way past the lights of, uh, you know, the, the city lights that kind of filter all that stuff, you, you could be able to see, this is what scientists say, you'd be able to see 9,096 stars. That's what they say in the Northern Hemisphere, as you look up with nothing, no trees or anything blocking you, and if you looked up, the naked eye can see 9,096 stars. Well, if you get binoculars or a like, telescope, you can obviously see way more than that but 9,096 stars. Well, those stars, if you look up, are always changing and moving around. Uh, but there's one star out of those 9,096 stars that, that doesn't move from our vantage point. 
that, is, that stays the same uh, no matter what time of year or where you are at in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, that star is called the North, North Star, the Polaris. Well, I'm not an uh, astrologer, uh, and I don't really, I look up and I'm like, well, it just looks like a bunch of dots in the sky. So I can't really make out uh, like constellations and all that stuff. But when I was serving in the Czech Republic in the summers, we would take these night hikes sometimes up on the hills, and we would go up there and we'd see all probably 9,096 stars. It was absolutely beautiful. Uh, and they would point out different constellations. Uh, now we have an app for it that you can actually do. But I only know two constellations. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, I look up and I can't see Orion or any of that things. I can see two constellations, and I bet you can guess what they are. The, it's the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. Those are, that's about my astrology thing. But I learned a little trick in the Czech Republic uh, that if you follow the line of the Big Dipper, it'll point you right to uh, the North Star, which is at the end of the handle of the Little Dipper. So find the Big Dipper, which is really the one I can find in the sky. I, I follow that, and there's the North Star. Well, when I learned that in the Czech Republic, they called it actually the Vel Velky Vus, uh, Velky Medved. It, it's, uh, they call it the Big Bear. It doesn't look like a bear to me, uh, but they would call it a, a big bear. And from there, you could find the North Star. And the North Star was the same positioning in Malnovice, Czech Republic, as it is in Boring, Oregon. It doesn't matter where you're at. It's the same direction, uh, same point. It gives you a point of reference so, so that sailors would use the North Star when they're on the seas to navigate their way. It gives them a, a focus, a direction, a, a point of reference where they can go. And in the same way this morning, this is what I want to show you, that as believers in relationship with the Lord, as people of a church, of a community of people gathered together, 2 Samuel 7 really serves us as a North Star in knowing Jesus and knowing who we are and knowing what we're about. Uh, so let's walk through uh, the first part of 2 Samuel 7. Let me summarize uh, it because you probably didn't spend all week meditating on it. Uh, the king, David, is sitting there in his, boy, this is palace, nice place. Uh, Nathan the prophet is there with him, and they're talking about probably kingdom stuff, uh, what, what to do, how to advance, or, or what's, what's the next thing, and what are we missing in this kingdom? Uh, and David, as he's sitting there in this nice palace built by this foreign king, the king of Tyre, uh, got all the, the amenities that he needs, goes, you know what? I'm feeling a little convicted because what we're missing in this city and what we're missing here is, is like a really nice house for, for God, a, a palace, a, a temple for the Lord. And so he says, you know what? That's what we're missing. That's what I'm going to build. I'm going to build God, a really impressive uh, temple. And but then uh, Nathan's like, go do it. Lord's, you know, Lord's with you. You can do whatever you want. But then that night, he actually, Nathan finds out, I gave David really bad advice. Because God says, no, I don't want you to build a temple. And in fact, he switches the whole thing around on David. It says, I don't want you to build a, a, a house for me. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. And then he goes on to even describe, like, how is he going to build David a house, his lineage, but even more than that, he says there's a seed or the offspring of David is going to be established as this king over this kingdom that's going to last forever. And this seed, this descendant of David, whose kingdom and throne are going to last forever, is going to build a house for God's name. Uh, so in summary, let me, there's a lot of construction talk going on. David says, I'm going to build God a house. 
God says, no, you're not, but I'll build you a house. And then he goes on to say, actually, your seed, your descendant, is going to build a house for my name. So it's a lot of, a lot of construction talk going on, but that's basically what's, what's happening. Do you get it? Uh, David, I want to build you a house. God says, no, but I'll build you a house. And then your descendant is going to build a house for the name of the Lord. Uh, this is central to our Bibles. And I, I just want to take you to one place to kind of give you the, the end of the, the story and how they look back on even 2 Samuel 7 and be like, we're sitting here today as a church because 2 Samuel 7 is predicting this. Uh, let me show you. Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Hebrews 3 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, for as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Because well, we, we know, actually, everything comes from God. Verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. See, David wanted to make a house for God out of like brick and mortar, some timber. Hey, I got a place for you. I'm going to do something for you, God. And God says, no, you're, you're not. I'm actually going to build a, a house for my name that I'm going to invite you even into. Uh, it's not a house that we build and then we put God in there. He says, I'm showing you something even more than that. I'm showing you this picture of the church, like this living, breathing temple that, that's going to have God's spirit in it that is moving throughout all the world. This passage actually points us to what we're doing today. It points us to the church and to Jesus as the builder of the church. Do you see it? Jesus as the builder of the church. And so even as we sit here today and we're looking back at 2 Samuel 7, I want us to see it as this north star of what we're, we're doing. So as we look at 2 Samuel 7, I want to make three observations with this text uh, to navigate us on our calling as Christians and who we are as a church. Three observations as 2 Samuel 7 as a North Star for us. The, the, first, the first point is this. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. The church is not a building, which I know we've said that multiple times. The church is not a building. It's the people of God who the Spirit is alive and at work in them. is act, He's dwelling in us. God isn't dwelling uh, in a building somewhere. He's dwelling in the people who have come to Jesus and have repented and accepted his forgiveness and love. The Spirit is in us. The church is more than a building. You know, we lived in uh, Kran, Slovenia, a beautiful place. Uh, has about 40,000 people there, not a huge uh, place. Very, not very many um, uh, believers there. It sits right at the base of the Alps. You can see it. I mean, we looked at the Alps every day when we lived there. Absolutely uh, breathtaking. This, this is really picturesque landscape of, of Kran, Slovenia. And as you can see in the landscape, if you notice, you see all those towers in there. Those are all uh, like towers for churches. 
So it's like a block, a block and a half, and there's all these churches there. And they were each built by wealthy landowners who said, I want to do something uh, that like, continues on in eternity. I, I want to do something big for, for God. And so they built these big, impressive churches, all in the same place, like, look what I did, look what I did. Uh, those churches, when we were over there, uh, two of them were, were closed, and there was absolutely nobody inside. And the third one had uh, occasional people come in, uh, but it was very cold in there, and it wasn't a lot of life. Uh, what's more important, those buildings for eternity or the life that happens inside those buildings for eternity? Now, I, I don't think the point is not uh, let's don't build buildings. The focus or the point is what's happening inside of those buildings, if you're just building a huge building and it's devoid of anything uh, related to the Lord inside, it's all for nothing. It's going to crumble eventually. The house of God, where Jesus really is, is in the people that are in them. Well, here's what Second Samuel talks about this. David, he knew something's missing in, in the, the kingdom. So he decides, okay, Lord, I'm going to get really, I'm going to work really hard for you and I'm going to make you a really impressive building like one of these. Maybe that will finally satisfy. I'll build one of these big buildings and God will be like, yeah, that's great. But God responds and says, I don't need it. I don't need that building. He goes back and says, don't you remember? I've been moving with the people in a tent since the first day. I don't need like all this glander or like all things that you can build and do for me. I'm just with my people through the wilderness through the, through the battles, through the good times, through the bad times, through the harvest seasons, through, through the, like, nothing. You're, you're just needing everything. It's like, Lord, I was been there with them, their presence with them all along. He's actually giving David a picture of, of how he's going to function in this, this house that the descendant of David is going to build for him. It, it's not going to be in a building. It's going to be in the people. And we saw Hebrews even talks about you are that house that he is building. You can see it. It's like this living, breathing temple that's, all, like, that's here. We gather together and we sing praises. But when you go to your schools and to your businesses and your neighborhoods, you don't leave Jesus here. Like Jesus isn't in a box somewhere that you leave and he's like, man, I can't wait till they come back next week. When I come into my office, I'm not like, hey, Jesus, well, they'll be back next week. No, Jesus, when, when you guys go, Jesus goes with you wherever you are. Because the church is not just the assembled community together. It's also the scattered community. Jesus is with you. The house of God is not a building. It's his people. So he's with you wherever you go. And he'll be with you this week. In good times and bad times, when you're struggling, when you need some wisdom or some help or encouragement, Jesus is there with you. So let that serve as like a North Star. Jesus is with you. The church is not a building. The second thing is this. Jesus' authority and kingdom are forever. His authority and his kingdom are forever. His throne and his kingdom are forever. Everything else is fleeting or will change. It's like those stars in the sky. Every one of them moves around and does all these things, but there's one star that doesn't change. Jesus' throne and kingdom are without end. 
which is an encouragement to us. No matter what you're going through or, or what season you are in life, it's going to end. It's going uh, to come to an end. It's going to finish, no matter if it's good or bad. Uh, nations rise, nations fall. Presidents are elected, new presidents are elected. Taxes rise, and taxes rise even more. <laughs> you know, the struggle that you're, you're at today, whatever you're facing, it's going to be met with peace at some time, in, in some way. There's going to come an end to it. And that peace that you're experiencing today is going to be met with a struggle in the future. It's just the way it is. They come and they go. The only thing consistent in this life is the throne and kingdom of Jesus. So we don't have to worry when we go through hard times. We don't have to be comfortable in the good times. We just have to look to Jesus, his throne and his kingdom. His throne is forever. His throne is forever. What's that mean? Jesus' throne is forever. Well, he's sitting as a king. A king's throne is the place where he rules and reigns, right? So as he's sitting on the throne, he speaks forth these commands, what's true to his people. What, the proclamation of the king is his authority. It's just, the throne is really a symbol of his authority of this proclamation going out. And in the same way, the word of God is like the proclamation of this great king to his people. It serves as a north star for your journey in life. Everything else you go through is going to be shifting sand. So if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to respond, if you're wondering, boy, what am I supposed to be about? Return to the proclamation of the king, his words, because his throne is forever. Ask him for wisdom, for guidance, for direction. Uh, it even talks about approach the throne with confidence as you pray to the Lord. Lord, please uh, let me know how I'm supposed to navigate this political, broken, divisive world. And then listen and meditate on the words of the king. His throne is forever. The second thing is Jesus' kingdom is forever. You know, it may seem like uh, this world, just like you were saying, Brian, this world is broken. It's fighting against everything that is good and right. It's diminishing the church. It wants to snuff the church out. And we're living in this like upside-down kingdom of the Lord where the first are last and the last are first, and those who want to be great serve, and, and the world's like, that's just nonsense. But yet the kingdom of God is forever. So as we decide even how we act and move in this world, are we going to decide it on, on things of this world or, or the things of the kingdom of God? This world's going to fade away. We have this promise that God's kingdom through Jesus is never going to end. And we'll be more than conquerors in the end. So it should encourage us to let's get busy loving and serving and caring for one another. That's the stuff that's going to last. Uh, your, your house, your car, your uh, success, your overtime, all that stuff's going to fade. What's going to last forever is the kingdom of God and our relationship with, with the king and with each other. So don't be weary in well-doing. Keep at it. Do the right thing. Listen to the king's instructions because in due time it says you'll reap this harvest. What we do for the Lord in his kingdom, even on this earth, it's, gonna, it's not going to fail. So when you're struggling to find out which way is up and which way is down, where to go, just turn to Jesus, his word, 
and his kingdom, his, his people, these, uh, these people that are going to be with you for all eternity because they're part of the kingdom of God. The third thing is that Jesus is the king. That's a North Star. It's Jesus. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one to be praised and glorified. He's central in the church. There's no other name. There's no pastor. There's no denomination. There's no elder. There's no deacon. There's no servant. There's no biggest giver. Uh, there's no best servant. It's all about the name of Jesus. Jesus is the king. I'm going to spend a little time geeking out, but I hope you can follow me a little bit because I think this is, uh, if you see this, you'll, you'll change the way you see even, even scripture. Uh, God tells David that there's going to be a seed that comes after him, an offspring, a descendant of David that it's going to come after him. And he is going to establish his throne in his kingdom forever. And then it talks about this relationship between this descendant of David who's going to be set on the throne forever and his kingdom's going to last forever. And, and it says um, this relationship with him. He said, uh, God says, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. I will be to him a father. He will be to me a son. The seed of, of David, the one who's going to be established as king uh, forever, is going to have a relationship with, with God the Father as like a father and a son. The, the one who's going to build a house for God's name really will be the son of God. Now what he's talking about there is not that God's going to have some created being or like going to give birth to somebody. Uh, it, it's talking about the title of king. The Son of God is the, the King of Israel that will sit on the throne forever and ever. He is talking about a king. The king will be the Son of God. So I want you to get that. The Son of God is not his divinity or that he is God. The Son of God is actually means he is the King of Israel who, who starts, the promise starts in 2 Samuel 7 and goes through the whole of Scripture. And we'll, I'm going to point out just a, a few of those. This, this is the, really the head waters for the stream. So he's talking about the Son of God means King of Israel who will sit on the throne and God will establish his throne and kingdom forever, this seed that will build the house for God's name. The title for that is the Son of God. This passage of Scripture is the headwater for the stream of meaning through the whole of Scripture. And I think we often get it wrong or we don't see it really clearly. Uh, the Mormons get this and think that God or Jesus has then been created because he's the son of God. Well, God had a baby boy and, uh, well, a couple of baby boys. But Jesus was never, cre he wasn't created. He was in existence. We know that all the time. So son of God does not mean created from God the Father. Son of God means king of Israel from 2 Samuel 7 that's going to sit on the throne forever and his kingdom is going to last forever the Son of God, when you hear that term, is a title for the King of Israel. Son of God, promised King of Israel that will reign forever and build God a house. I know I've said that a lot, but I'm trying to... The Son of God, promised King of Israel. From David on then, they're looking for this promised King of Israel who's going to rule and to reign, that God's going to establish forever, that's going to build a house for God's name. Uh, from David on, you get to Solomon, you're like, oh, maybe he's the son of God. 
But Solomon ends up messing up really bad and ends up dying. Well, maybe Solomon's son is the son of God. Nope, that's not it either. Maybe, maybe Solomon's son's son is the son of God, the, the promised king that was going to rule and reign forever. And each one of them end up sinning and dying, and we're still left wondering who's the son going to be. Well, this whole theme picks up in the book of Psalms. Uh, in Psalm 2, if you have a Bible, go, uh, go there. It'll also be up on the screen. Psalm 2 begins with, why, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they're all getting themselves together, and they're all like against the Lord and against his anointed one, against his king, against this Messiah. And so you get the scene of the whole world in chaos, and how's the Lord Almighty going to respond to the sin and brokenness and rebellion of the world? I mean, he can do anything he wants. Is he going to smite them? Is he going to judge them? Is he going to push them all? And, and it says this in verse 6, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, Today I have begotten you. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. In response to evilness and rebellion of humanity, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my son on a hill as a king. And then the king, the next verse stops and goes, I will tell the decree. The king actually turns and says, let me tell you about what happened. Or what's going to happen when God makes me king of Israel? This promised king from 2 Samuel 7. He said, uh, I will tell you of this decree to make me, to make me king. He, he said, the Lord said to me, you are my son. This is my son. It's not uh, the decree of, hey, there's a birth announcement and God had this baby boy uh, in Jerusalem. That, that's not the decree. The decree is he takes this, uh, this seed of David whose throne and kingdom are going to last forever and this seed who's going to build a house for God's name and he makes him king of everything forever. And and the king, that king, the one king, God's king says, uh, let me tell you, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Hearkening back to 2 Samuel 7, the promised king of Israel that will sit on the throne forever and ever build God a house. So then, and we're skipping a ton because all through the Old Testament you see this, this stream and this strand going like a north star uh, until we get to uh, Matthew. You open it up and you find out that Jesus is the descendant of David. He's the seed of David. And then we get to Matthew 3 when Jesus comes on scene at age 30, same age as David was when he was made king, age 30, and he comes and the very first thing he does is he says, Let's go to the waters of baptism. He goes in the waters of baptism. He's baptized down. And as he's come up, this voice from heaven calls out. Do you remember this? A voice from heaven calls out, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's not saying, That a boy, like I do with my sons after the soccer game. Good job hustling out there. He's not saying that. There is a stream going on from 2 Samuel 7 all the way to Matthew 3 that says you've been longing for this one who's going to come and put the world at right to make things as they should be. That his throne, his kingdom are going to last forever and he's going to build this house for my name where, where God's going to dwell with his people. And, and you've been longing and looking for him. Well, let me tell you, this is him. Jesus. 
This is, this is him. This is the one that's going to, to do all that. It's the announcement of the coming king, the, God's king, that's going to finally make everything right. And as Jesus is the king, the thing he gets busy doing is building a church, what we call a church. And we say, I'm going to church, but that's not it. God's like, I don't, I don't even really need this building. I'll use it if it's for kingdom purposes. But really what I'm all about is I'm about people and calling my people. The, the house of God is, uh, is this organized, like, organized group, community. It's a worshiping community of Jesus followers that are all about Jesus. And Jesus is the one building it, so then Jesus is the one that gets all the glory. It's not me getting the glory. It's not uh, anyone else who's done anything. If, if Jesus is building the house, he gets the glory. It's Jesus. So I got to the end, and I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? Practical application. What does this mean for you as you uh, move on Monday morning and get up? Well, what should you do? And I think the whole of Scripture, the whole stream of Scripture said, look at Jesus. I don't know what, like, look, behold Jesus. This is the king. This is the one who is setting everything to right. Now, maybe not right now, but his kingdom is everlasting. So it'll outlast everyone in Portland, Oregon, who thinks they're in rebellion against the Lord and his anointing. It's going to outlast them. His throne, his authority are forever. So as we take that as a church, I think one of our responses that we want to do is, okay, so how do I get busy building for the, for the king? What, what, what impressive building or what impressive program or, or uh, impressive whatever I can do for the king? And, and the king's like, not only you do things for me, I want to do things with you. And I'm going to empower you. But what I'm going to empower you for is this community of people that are living life together, that are glorifying my name. Let me say, if you are not part of that house this morning, the door is open. The king's like, come on in. In fact, I'm inviting this king named David into this house who, uh, who ends up killing people, rebelling, lying. Uh, he's, he's not a good guy. And at the end, he's like, I'm going to use you in this long line to build a house for my name. And in fact, you want to build it for me? No, I got something way better for you. I got something way more in store for you than you would ever do for me. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. Uh, my hope is if you're part of this house of the Lord, that you know the Lord's with you always, whatever you do, that he'll encourage you when you need encouragement, that he'll give you direction and guidance, uh, that you'll know that... Uh, it's not about um, coming to a, to a building. It's about coming to a people and, and glorifying the one who has constructed and brought all these paths. To, I mean, I look around and I say, boy, how you guys are all here, I don't know. How you found this little place in Boring Orient, how I'm here, I don't know. But I know there's this master architect who's building this house. And so he gets all the glory. He'll be with you wherever you go. You don't have to be afraid. So let's get busy, church, as the church, to be his hands and his feet wherever you go. Let me pray, and we'll invite the worship team to come up. Lord, uh, I've taken more time than I planned on, uh, but I pray that as 
the words of 2 Samuel as a north star for all of us in our, in our lives would give us encouragement, direction, peace as we navigate this just crazy world. I pray for uh, the first responders, the ones out there on the front lines, so that we're not as bad as we could be. Lord, you have established those things as really gifts for all of us. So I pray that they would feel your peace and comfort and love and strength. And even as uh, we live in this fallen, broken world, know that your kingdom will not end. Your authority uh, will never end. And as these nations and peoples rage, that the, the crux of it all is that you've set your king on Zion. You will send Jesus to establish his throne forever. And we'll be people who follow hard after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Um, sorry, I took a little bit longer. And one of the hard things with your mask, I can't get a feedback, so I don't know if you're all just bored or if it's like, but hopefully underneath those masks, it was like, oh, hopefully you can see the, the magnitude of 2 Samuel 7, and that'll be on your, like, star that chapter in your Bible, because as you read it, you'll keep coming back to it. Uh, we didn't get to the second point of David's prayer of gratitude. It's the whole second afterwards, and it's a beautiful thing saying, who am I, Lord, that you would use me to build your house? And I think it's all of our prayers as well. Let me just read uh, two verses from there. Um, and what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O, my, o Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know, know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all that you have heard, all that we have heard with our ears. Uh, and let's pray. Lord, um, who are we that you would call us uh, your people, that we would belong to your house, that we would actually do anything in your house. It, it's by sheer grace. You're the one building it, Lord. You get all the glory. Help us to know that you are with us wherever you we go this week. Help us to know that this kingdom uh, that we are living in, your kingdom and your throne are forever, and everything else is going to uh, eventually fade away. So, Lord, let us choose and move and respond uh, correctly in your kingdom to know you as our great king. And Lord, would we go out in this broken world now and be lights for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.